But this morning, we have a wonderful guest speaker. Uh, he's been on staff with us for about seven years. The calling that God has in his life is, is, is so clear as we see the gifts and how God has anointed him. He's become a really close and dear friend of mine. And there's just a lot of neat, exciting stuff going on in his life. And so I'm going to have Pastor Dominic Bally come up and share with us. Dom Bally. How you doing, brother? Morning, church. Everybody doing all right? Cool. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this wonderful day that you've made. We, um, we rejoice together in it. We want to be glad in it together. Thank you, Lord, that you are intimately acquainted with every single one of us here. Lord, you know exactly what's going on in all of our lives. And today, God, I believe you want to minister to our hearts. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come now, you would speak into our lives like only you can, and that today, both in the words that come from my mouth and what you do in our lives, that the name of Jesus, the glory of Jesus would be greater be magnified. We ask it in his name. Amen. 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 Well, um, as Pastor G kind of alluded to, uh, there's some really cool stuff going on in, in our lives. And I know, I know Britt wanted to be here to, to kind of share in this, but um, there's some transitional stuff going on in our lives. And we want to share it with you because God is kind of moving, moving in us, moving, moving out with us. And so um, I'm excited to be able to share with you guys and kind of study the word a little bit today together. But uh, some of you guys know, a few of you guys may know, most of you probably don't, but God is transitioning me from being on staff at Reality as the worship pastor to investing my life into full-time music ministry outside of the walls of reality. Thank you, whoever said nice. Into <laughs> uh, investing my life into full-time music ministry outside of the four walls of reality. Uh, for those of you guys who don't know, I have this, this rock reggae band, this Cali rock reggae band, and uh, God's really opened up a lot of doors and is just doing wonderful things there. And so it's just what Jesus is doing. It's, it's crazy and it's exciting, but it's just what, what Jesus is doing right now. Are you guys cool on the couch, on the floors? Okay, there's seats if not, but all right. Uh, it's just what Jesus is doing, and so I'm excited to share with you guys in it. It's, it's crazy. Today's a crazy day for us. It's extremely bitter, and it's extremely sweet, uh, as, as any transition is. But, you know, like G said, man, I, I've been working here for seven years. Like, I remember when it was just OG, like it was just Britt and G and Carol, Hetty and me, and there was no walls in this building, and we were crammed in a little corner over there. And on Sunday mornings, we were trying to figure out how to do stuff like, how do you make coffee for a 1,000 people? And so it's gnarly for me. Like, God called us here in a really crazy way, which I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a little bit of. Um, and so it's, it's crazy for me the day that I'm not on staff and at every staff meeting and a part of everything and working in the office during the week. But it's so so Jesus. And so just a little bit of backstory to kind of segue into a little bit more Bible study, because I think that God is doing some of the similar stuff in our lives 
um, as a church and some of your lives as individuals and as couples and as families. And so I'm excited to share in that with you and for you to share in that with us. But for about a year, you know, I've been feeling like I wasn't really able to do either of my jobs Great. I wasn't able to do the worship pastor thing great, especially as we went to two campuses and our church grew by over a thousand people and we have 30 musicians and five worship leaders and a few thousand people at the churches and the two campuses. Didn't feel like I was able to do that great uh, as a part-time staff member and didn't feel like I was able to do the the music ministry thing great outside of reality, feeling kind of torn. You know, there'd be so many Sundays where uh, I'd roll up and the night before I had been in San Diego you know, ministering the gospel through music till midnight or whatever. We get home at three in the morning. I get two hours of sleep, wake up at five, get to church at 5.45 to get set up for worship practice at six, rehearse for an hour and a half, do three services or two services of worship. As soon as that was done, I'd bolt up to somewhere like Bakersfield or Porterville or something to minister the gospel through music again. It was just crazy. You know, it was what God was doing and I was excited about it. I wasn't tripping on it, but it was definitely becoming stretching, you know, and not only that, but for nine years I've been working at a church. I've been in full-time or part-time ministry in, at, at church, you know, and for nine years I've kind of had this divided heart, like, man, I love building up the body and pushing out believers. You know, like it says in Ephesians 4, pastors are given to do that, to, to edify the body and to push them out so the saints can do the work of the ministry, right? But my heart was always really wanting to be out there doing the work of the ministry, and uh, the night before I sat down with Britt and G and we kind of discovered what God was doing with, with my life and as it pertains to reality and outside of reality, the night before that I was telling my wife, I was like, baby, for, for nine years, my greatest passion has always been being out there, like doing the work of the ministry out there. I love building up the body and pushing them out. My greatest passion, where I find my greatest joy is being out there. And I was like... I always thought everybody who worked at a church had the same divided heart. But what I'm thinking is like, I bet you their greatest passion is actually building up believers and, and pushing them out to do the work of the ministry. It took me nine years to figure it out, you know. And the next day I was sitting down with Britt and G and I asked them, man, is this your guys' greatest passion? Like building up believers and pushing them out to do the work of the ministry? And they were like, yeah, dude, for sure. That's what we go to bed dreaming about at night. And so, uh, you know, it was beautiful. And Britt and G and I got together. And I just want to encourage you, man, as, as somebody who is, is becoming in the transition to becoming, like, not a paid staff person at this church, these pastors love you guys and are some of the most amazing God-fearing men to ever work with. And just sitting down, yeah, glory to God. And, you know, sitting down with Britt and G was the most beautiful thing that it could have ever been. It wasn't two employers sitting down with an employee. It was three of us sitting down together really just discovering what God was doing in my life and tripping out together over it, you know, because I've just been here since the beginning almost. And so we were just tripping. And uh, Britt just asked me, hey, man, what does the future hold? For you, like, what does that look like as it pertains to music ministry outside of reality and with reality? What does that look like? And I just started crying and was just like, Bleh! you know, just <laughs> threw it all up. And over the next three hours, we just got to discover what God was doing. Every 20 minutes, we'd just stop mid sentence and be like, Are we really having this conversation? Is this, is this seriously happening right now? And I think we all knew that, that God was doing this, but um, I don't think any of us actually wanted to admit it. 
So, you know, I went home and told Emily that night, my wife, and I just want to say to you, my wife is the bomb. She is amazing. And for anybody in here who's not married, let me just say something to the unmarried people who are hoping to be married one day. You know, we kind of have this priority list of like, God, can you do this? Can you give me this in a wife? For me, it was like, God, I want a, a hot wife who's got cute feet, has an amazing singing voice, and is in love with you, right? That was not in that order, but that was like, That was like my list. And God gave me a hot wife who has a ridiculously awesome singing voice, the cutest feet you ever sing, and was more in love with Jesus than anybody that I had ever met. And you really see it in times like this, like, come home, baby, I don't think I have a job anymore, right? So here's what I'm saying. When she's 75, she's not going to look like she did when she was 20, right? Her feet will probably be all wrinkly. Her... Her singing voice will probably be like that real deep vibrato you get when you're like, you get old, you know. Just like, oh, 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 oh. But you know what? Her love for Jesus is going to be stronger and deeper and more mature. And that's something that will last. So just a word to the people who aren't married yet. Man, let everything else just pale in comparison to somebody who, who's going to push you to Jesus. And so I went home and I told her. And here's what's crazy is we had been praying for the last couple of months God, would you cause us to need you again? Like really, really need you. Like be desperate for you again. Because our whole lives leading up to a year ago, for that first seven years of marriage, we were just desperate for the Lord. Like every week it was like, God, how are we going to eat this week? Every month it was like, God, how are we going to pay our bills? And that caused us to just uh, press into Jesus more and to have to need him more and to fall more in love with him and be more aware of his nearness. But for the last year... You know, I took over the radio ministry for reality, and so, like, I had a little bit more income coming in. All of a sudden, I was making a little bit of money with the band. I was still on staff at the church. We were able to, to buy this brand-new house in Oxnard. And by the way, there is really nice parts of Oxnard. What's up to all my people in Ventura? <laughs> and uh, for the first time, we had a house where, like, more than three people could sit in the living room. You know, my kids had their own rooms, and it was big, and it was beautiful, and it was brand new. For the first time in our married life, we had money to just do something like buy new shoes. If I wanted to buy new shoes, I used to have to wait till Christmas, and then I'd ask my mom for new shoes. And, and this, like, this comfort, you know, kind of this comfortable, like, a little taste of that American dream, we didn't know it, but it was, it was seeping in this complacency into our, our Christian lives and our relationship with the Lord to the point where... A couple months ago, we were like, what the heck? We're like lukewarm right now. What happened? And I think there's such truth when Jesus said, it is impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Like, that's no joke. And so we had been praying, God, make us need you again. I wasn't necessarily thinking, God, take away my job, you know. But we were praying, God, God, we want to need you again. And so I went home and I, I told my wife and she was just like, yes, yes, this is the Lord. This is what God's doing. And so... We got on our faces, and my wife doesn't really cry much, you know. Like, I'm way more emo than she is. And uh, we were on our faces, and she just started crying, and she said, I miss you, Lord. And that's the best way that I can describe what, what God is doing is we're just knowing his nearness in this time. We're freaked out because, like, what? I don't, I don't get it. What's going on? We're scared. But knowing his nearness, there's something about being in need of God like that, that causes you to know his nearness like you don't when you're just kind of comfortable. 
So needless to say, we're, we're kind of scared right now. I mean, five-sixths of my income comes from reality. Um, so not working at reality anymore is really scary. That, that either means one of two things, that reality's paid me really great for being part-time or that you don't make no money as a musician. <laughs> Both are like actually really true. And uh, so we're scared, like we're freaked out. Another cool thing that happened was a couple of months ago, about four weeks before I met with Britton G, uh, I was praying about this next record that we're working on and really feeling like God wanted to bless it and really feeling like he, he just wanted to like spread it and expand the ministry and expand our tent posts. And I was praying, I felt like God said, hey, I, I do want to do that. I do want to bless it and expand it. But Dominic, all the extra money that comes in, all the royalties from your record, I want you to give them away. And I was like, yes, Lord, I'm excited. I still had a job at the time, right? So I was like, yeah, Lord, this is awesome. I'm excited. And it gave me a heart for, for ministering to kids in Haiti and like doing huge stuff in Haiti. Let's bring down 10,000 pairs of shoes and give them away. Let's bring down 10,000 CDs and give them away. Let's minister the gospel to 10,000 orphans in, in, in Haiti at no expense to anybody except for us. And I'm getting excited about this. And then uh, four weeks later, you know, I'm sitting down with, with Britton G and they're like, hey, man, so gosh, this is crazy. I mean, the biggest thing we're concerned about is we want to make sure your family's taken care of. So, I mean, can you start taking a, a salary from the band from your record royalties or something? And I was like, no. <laughs> I can't. Total just Jesus bamboozle, right? Like, I was with the Lord, and it's like the Lord was saying, all right, Dom, so check it out. Here, here's what I'm doing. I'm, why don't you start giving away your, your royalties from your CD sales? And I was like, yeah, Lord, awesome. I'm stoked. I'm excited about the ministry, giving away. This is awesome. And the Lord's like, all right, cool. There's something else I want to talk to you about. <laughs> so you're not going to have a job either. And it's like, you're just playing about the first thing, right, Lord? Because I could use the money now. But that's so how Jesus works. He stacks all the odds against him so that he can get all of the glory in the end. So we're not moving. As far as we know, we're not, we're not moving. We're still living in the 805. This is our home church. You know, we love you guys. Ra reality is our home. I, I, thought I, I thought I'd be working on staff until the, the day I died, you know. I didn't even, like, anticipate this. The Lord totally just caught me off guard and it's beautiful and awesome. But we're still here. I'm still going to be leading worship probably as much as I am now, as often as I can, which in CARP is only, like, every six weeks. But in Ventura, it's, it's more often than that. Um, we'll still see you guys as, as much as we can. Again, in, in CARP, it's not, it's not as often, but in Ventura, it's a lot more often. Um, it's also important to note that I, I didn't quit. You know, obviously, I wouldn't be preaching today. I didn't, like, hijack the pulpit, you know, today after I quit. I wasn't fired. It's just what Jesus is doing. He's just moving stuff around to accomplish his purpose in the greatest way possible. No doubt we're, we're stretched and we're a little bit scared, but we're excited. I mean, when I went home and told my wife, she was like, yes, baby. I mean, what? If God wants us to sell our house right now and move into an RV, whatever. Our kids love RVs. <laughs> See what I'm talking about? She's amazing. You know, if we're like, God, you want us to go to Haiti for a month? Like, we'll, go to, we'll pick up right now. Go to Haiti for a month. You want us to move to Brazil and minister to people in the ghettos of Brazil? Like, let's do it, Lord. Just feeling free. Like, God, whatever you want to do, we're excited to do it. I'm stoked about maybe just being able to come to my, uh, my church sometimes with my wife and just come to church, you know, and just worship on the carpets. But I want to talk about this idea of stepping out, you know. 
Because if you're a born-again, true disciple of Christ, then at some point, he's going to call you to step out. If he hasn't yet, or he's not doing it right now, then at some point, he's going to call you to participate in something that is way beyond yourself. For a year, I was feeling like God maybe wanted to do this. But I was going to wait for maybe six months or another year till maybe it made a little bit more sense. And then I was just going to kind of mention it that maybe God was doing it sometime in the future. I wasn't really even praying about the possibility of it. Um, I wasn't even sure that God wanted to do it someday. And I for sure wasn't sure if I wanted God to do this someday. Um, honestly, we, we weren't and actually aren't in a place financially where my music could, could really support me. And so I was like, dude, it doesn't even make sense. There's no way God would do something that doesn't make sense, right? Like, that'd just be totally illogical and just, but just a little newsflash, like God doesn't do stuff that makes sense to anybody except for himself, right? At least sometimes. Um, and so I, I kind of felt like I was, you, you probably felt like this, maybe some of you this morning are feeling like this, but I kind of felt like I was standing at the edge of a cliff like, God, this is kind of scary, but I think you, I think you want me to, to go over there. I think, I think maybe you're doing that sometime. And I was like, God, a bridge maybe? It would be cool. Like just make a way and I'll be like, oh, yeah, maybe I should start praying if I should walk over the bridge. Or at least, Lord, tell me, step out, start walking, and I'll, I'll provide the bridge. That would have been harder, but still cool, right? But I felt like I was kind of looking over the edge, just like, whoa, Lord, I think, I think you're calling me. And then he just came along and pushed me over the cliff. I mean, one, one, one night, a few weeks ago, I was sitting on the couch with my wife, and we were looking at our budget, and we were praying how we can give away every single extra penny that comes in as income so that we would need God more. And then the next night I was sitting with my wife, totally jobless on the same couch. God was just saying, dude, just like, bam, just get off, get off the cliff. I'm doing this. And the crazy thing about it is we were thanking Jesus for the fact that I had, I didn't have a job anymore. That's when you know it's Jesus, right? When, when you're thanking him, I don't have a job. And, and that's when you know you're born again because there's nothing natural about thanking Jesus for taking away your job. But most of us don't like it when God calls us to step out like that. It's scary when God calls us to do that. We want him to make it easy for us. We pray stuff like, God, open the door and I'll walk through. And God says, why don't you start walking and I'll open the door. Sometimes God throws us a bone and parts the Red Sea and we're able to look and there's dry ground and there's huge walls of water on both sides and we say, I'm pretty sure God wants me to walk through right here. But sometimes we're standing at the edge of the River Jordan and the banks are overflowing and the water's gushing and God says, I want you to step in. I want you to step in and watch me stop the waters. And Joshua 3 8 through 17, we find this story. I'm going to read a little bit of it. It'll be up on the screen. And the Lord said to Joshua, you shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, 
It shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests dipped in the edge of the water, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. When we are obedient to step out in faith, God will be faithful to open every door that needs to be opened and meet every need that needs to be met. Whatever the need is, God wants to meet it. Whatever that river is, God wants to shut it up where it needs to be shut up. Whatever that door is, God will open it. If it's financial need, we gotta remember Psalm 50, it says, God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And Philippians 4, it says, God shall supply every single one of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. If it's a spiritual need, we got to remember stuff like Hebrews 12. It says, God is the author and the finisher of our faith. If it's an emotional need, we got to remember stuff like Psalm 125. It says, those who trust in the Lord shall be like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. Whatever the need is, God will supply it. And not only that, but like it says here in Joshua 3, God will cause your feet to stand firm on dry ground. Can you imagine if God had not caused the ground to be dry? It would have been insanity, right? People would have been sinking in. It would have been like sinking sand. It was the floor of a river. People would have been sinking in. People would have been tripping over each other. It would have been chaos. People would have been falling, drowning, no doubt, with just like getting stuck in the mud. It would have been, it would have been chaos. But God will cause our feet to stand firm on dry ground. I think that's so much of the idea of, of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And we've read this verse a million times, but I want to read it in the Amplified Version. I love how it says it. It says, Lean on, trust in, and be confident in the Lord with all your heart and mind, and do not rely on your own insight or understanding. In all your ways, know, that means intimately know him, recognize and acknowledge him, and he will direct and make straight and plain your paths. When we believe God like Joshua did and obey God like those priests did who stepped in, God will cause our feet to stand firm on dry ground and cause our paths to be straight. He's not going to leave us struggling. He's not going to abandon us. He's not going to leave us in the sinking sand. He's not going to send us through some maze without any direction. He's going to make straight and direct our paths. And when times are crazy, we have to stand on biblical truths like this. Psalm 119 says that the word of God is our strength. This is, our, this is my strength right now. Just relying on the promises of God's word. Like, God, this is you. Your word says it. Like, you are faithful. You cannot be faithful because that's who you are. First or Second Timothy says that you'll deny yourself if you aren't faithful. You are faithful. We got to stand firm on these promises. And Scripture reminds us when you're, you're afraid, because you're going to be afraid sometimes when God calls you to step out, that his perfect love casts out fear. Scripture reminds us that when you feel alone or misunderstood, because you're going to feel alone 
and sometimes misunderstood by the people around you and God calls you to do something that doesn't make sense. But you gotta remember that God is on your side, that he is for you. And if he is for you, then who can be against you? When I don't know if we'll be able to keep the house that we live in or keep the car that we have, the word of God reminds me that he is so much more precious than diamonds. That he is so much more valuable in a nice house or a nice car or fancy date nights or a comfortable life. He's so much better than every commodity that the world could ever offer. Is it scary? Absolutely. You don't think Joshua, though, was scared when God was telling him to go into the promised land? That's why God commands him in Joshua 1.9. says, have I not commanded you? What strong language, right? Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And if we really, for real, serve the God of the entire universe, who holds the universe in the palm of his hand, then we should be people who are able to obey God no matter what and to trust God no matter what. As a man, I want the play-by-play, right? I want God to lay it all out. Like, God, give me the five-year plan. I want to know what's going on. It's like, it's like when I play football. Believe it or not, I used to be quarterback in junior high and high school. And uh, I would call the plays, right? But I wouldn't determine what the plays were. I would just communicate the plays. I didn't know the whole plan that the head coach had or the offensive coordinator had for the whole game. He would tell a receiver, here's the play. The receiver would run it in, communicate it to me. I'd communicate it to the team. We'd break. We'd run that play right then. I didn't get to see the whole picture. I was just called to, to put on the helmet, put on the pads, get out there and run this play right now. And that's how it is with God sometimes. Like God knows the play-by-play and he, he doesn't tell us. He says, dude, put on your pads, put on your helmet, smacks your bum, tells you get out there, run that play right now. You know, we're the pawn on the chess table. He's the chess master who's working us to just accomplish what, if that means we're like out for a little while, then whatever, we're out for a little while. But God is orchestrating all things to accomplish his purpose and glorify his name. We're the clay. You know, he's the potter and we need to submit to the vision and the sovereignty of the potter. Seven years ago, Emily and I were living in East County, San Diego. I was a youth pastor down there, way up in the boondocks of San Diego in a little town called Ramona. And uh, I was a youth pastor at church up there. She was running the office at the church. And we were feeling like God was calling us to step out, to, to go somewhere, to do something. He was calling us out. We didn't know where. And this one Sunday night in September 2003, Emily was real frustrated with just like, God, I feel like you're doing something. What are you doing? Where are you calling us? So she went upstairs to pray. I stayed downstairs just like, typical guy like watching TV, right? She's, my wife's upstairs being with Jesus. I'm watching TV. An hour later, she comes down just glowing. Her countenance had fully changed. And I was like, mute. Like, what were you, what were you doing up there? And who were you with? Like, what, what happened? And she was like, baby, the Lord told me, the Lord told me where we're supposed to move. The Lord told me what, what he's doing. And I was like, what, where? Tell me. And she's like, oh, no, I'm not going to tell you. I want, I, want you, I want you to hear from the Lord yourself. And I was like, oh, see what I'm talking about? Some of you just pushes you to Jesus, right? So the next day I was praying. I was reading the book of Isaiah. 
A lot of times God speaks to us through his word, you know, and I was in Isaiah 42 and all of a sudden God just began to speak to me about the coastlands and he was doing this work on the coastlands, this new work on the coastlands and we were supposed to go there and be a part of it. And I felt 100% like this is God, God is doing this. So I sat down with my wife, I told her, baby, I think God spoke to me, he told me where we're supposed to move. She's like, where? Oh, how, how did he speak to you? I was like, through the word. Well, what book? Isaiah. What chapter? 42. Coastlands? Yeah, coastlands. God had spoken to us the exact same passage as the scripture, right? So we knew, okay, God's calling us to the coastlands, Isaiah 42. But what the heck does coastlands mean? Like, what does that mean? Like, you know how many coasts there are on the, on the planet? So there were five places on our heart. Well, four really, and we just kind of tagged on the fifth one. But it was like Australia, Jamaica, the, 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 the west part of San Diego, you know, the coast of San Diego and a ministry down there this ministry in Huntington, and then we had met this dude named Britt at a youth workers conference a year before for 30 seconds, and we knew or thought that he, like, was a college pastor at a church in Santa Barbara, and we were like, dude, let's put that guy Britt on there. Like, kind of just felt like we connected with him, just like a little pinky, right? So stuck that, stuck that on there. And so we were praying. That's in September. October rolls around, find out Emily's pregnant. Pastor of the church sits me down and says, bro, your wife's pregnant. You know you have health insurance through the church, Right? are you sure you want to do this? You're crazy, dude. And I was like, yeah, man, God's, God's saying do it. And so uh, we, we keep moving forward and five places on our heart. Eventually God says no to Australia. Says no to Jamaica. That church in San Diego offers me a job. I really want to take it, but God says no. It's like Huntington and the pinky left, right? And, and God, December rolls around. God says no to Huntington. At the same time, the pastor sits us down and says, hey, we found people to, to replace you guys. You got 30 days. I was like, okay. And so that same youth workers conference where I had met Britt a year before was coming around in January and I was going to go because I, I was a youth pastor. And through a crazy series of events, I won't go into the time to tell you right now, we ended up coming up to Carpinteria just to visit and lead worship. And we're leading worship at the, the college night, Friday night when Britt was still doing Calvary Santa Barbara. By the way, the church had kind of just started in Carpinteria, um, unbeknownst to us. And... We're at Calvary Santa Barbara. We're about to lead worship and Brent's introducing us and says, hey, this is Dominic and Emily. They're from San Diego. God's calling them to the coastlands. They don't really know where, but God's saying the coastland. He stops them in sentence and he's like, coastlands, huh, Isaiah 42. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. And we're like, because we hadn't told him. We didn't tell him Isaiah 42. So we're tripping. Turns out the day the day that God told us he was starting a new work on the coastlands that we were supposed to go be a part of it, that day was September 7, 2003, the exact day that Reality Cart started, three and a half hours away from us, totally unbeknownst to us. When we found that out, we were like, oh my gosh, this is, this is Jesus, right? So we had no job uh, offer, no job offer up here, no money, a baby on the way, no health insurance, and no place to live, literally. But God was saying, go. So, so we went, did every single practical, logical, man of the house, protector, provider instinct in me say, dude, you're an idiot, you're irresponsible, don't do this? Absolutely. But I knew that God was saying, go. My wife knew that God was saying, go. And we also knew that God had the playbook and that God was gonna work all things together for our good and for his glory. Sometimes God is going to do things that totally don't make sense to anybody except for himself. And that's okay, church. 
He's our good shepherd. And so we can rest in his arms even if it doesn't make sense. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. Remember Abraham? Genesis 12, God says, Abraham, get up and go to a land that I will show you. What did Abraham do? He said, all right, God, I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to a land that you'll show me. It says of him in Hebrews 11, verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He just got up and stepped out. He took his whole family, all of his servants, all of his possessions. He went and he stepped out. He didn't have no GPS. He wasn't able to like look up on the internet. What's Canaan like? Oh, okay. How should I pack? What's the weather like? Yeah, I think he was totally unprepared. He didn't have no iPod with the 3G network on his way there trying to figure out his way how to get to Canaan. God, God was going to go before him and God was going to direct him. Yeah, he had some money, but even at that, he didn't know if there'd be people along the way to trade with. He just got up and went. And then Genesis 15 rolls around and God says, Abraham, I know your wife's barren, but I want to give you a son and I want to use him to multiply your descendants greater than the stars are of the heavens. It says that Abraham believed God. And so God gave him a son. And then Genesis 22 rolls around and God says, hey, Abraham, you know that son I gave you? Yeah, Lord, I know the son. I want you to take him up on a mountain that I'll show you and offer him to me as a burnt offering, a sacrifice of worship. The next verse, the very next verse, it says, so Abraham rose early in the morning. Right when the sun got up, Abraham rose and took his son Isaac. He didn't stop. He didn't ponder. He didn't try to figure it out. He didn't try to, you know, like argue with God or like, Lord, can we compromise here? He just got up and he went. God spoke and so Abraham obeyed. Did it make sense? No way. But Abraham believed God. Why? Because he knew God was worthy of believing. He knew God was worthy of trusting. God had said, Abraham, I'll, I'm going to take you to a place that I'll show you. And God had done it. God said, Abraham, I'm going I'm to take your wife who's barren and y'all who are way too old to have kids and give you a child. And God had done it. And so if God was saying, Abraham, offer this son as a burnt offering to me. Then Abraham knew, like it says in Hebrews 11, that God was able to raise Isaac up even from the dead. And so God did provide, you know, Abraham was gonna just sacrifice his son and the angel stopped him. And God said, now I know, now I know that you're faithful. Blessing, I'll bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you because of your obedience to me. And God provided. But we've got to remember that God has been faithful to every single generation that has come before us. And that God hasn't changed and so he will be faithful to us. It's who he is. He can't deny himself. Now, God being faithful may not look like you owning your dream home or owning any home for that matter. It may not look like your kids having new clothes or new shoes or you having new shoes. It may not look like filet mignon every night for dinner. You may be eating beans and rice for the rest of your life. When God says, I'm gonna be faithful to meet your needs, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to provide the American dream for us. That means that he's going to be faithful as we seek first the kingdom of God to provide what we need. And the presence of God and at his right hand are pleasures so much greater forevermore. I remember after God 
confirmed that he was calling us up to CARP. We went back home and we packed up our U-Haul and it was all packed on a Friday. We were gonna move two days later on that Sunday. We were gonna drive. But the funny thing is, if you had asked us then on that Friday morning, where are you guys taking your U-Haul? We literally did not know. I thought on Sunday, I was like, this is the only way I picture it could, it could happen. We're gonna be driving to Carpinteria on Sunday up the 101 and we're gonna get a call from some random person saying, dude, I don't know you, but your phone number was in my dream and I called it. I have a house. Do you need a house? Like we literally, I was like, God, how are you going to do this? We have nowhere to go, but you said go. And so we're going to go. Like literally did not know where we were taking our RV. Had no, zero money in the bank. Had no health insurance. My wife was pregnant. I had no job, job offer. I didn't even know how to do anything except bus tables, kind of play music, and kind of teach the Bible. That's all I had done my whole life. God said go. And so we were going. And that Friday, I got a call from Britt, who I didn't even really know that good. We all knew God was doing this and God was calling us, but we were just getting to know each other calls me and says, dude, we've been praying as a staff and uh, I feel like we're supposed to rent you guys a house. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and he's like, as long as you don't mind having a couple interns live in another room in the house, we feel like we're supposed to do this from you, we, for you. We, we don't want anything from you. We don't expect anything from you. We expect maybe you'll lead worship a couple times a month or whatever because that's what you're going to do. But, dude, we don't expect you to work here or volunteer here. We just feel like we're supposed to do this. God is so faithful to meet our needs. I just want to brag on him for, for another minute here because I think that when we think about God doing the miraculous and doing stuff like this, we're like, well, God did that with people like Abraham. He was like the chosen, you know. God does that with radicals like George Mueller. You know, God does that in places like China. But I'm just here to testify that God did that with a 22-year-old musician and his cute little pregnant wife in sunny Southern California. God did it. I think the reason that we don't often see God doing the miraculous isn't because God doesn't want to do the miraculous, but because we've arranged our lives in such a way that God doesn't need to do the miraculous. We've got credit cards, right? So what, why does God need to provide? We've got 401Ks, so why does God need to take care of the future? We've got health insurance, so why does God need to heal us? So I don't know if Emily and I were full of faith or if we were just too ignorant and young at the time to know how to arrange our lives to where we didn't need God in that way. But we had a baby on the way, no health insurance, no job. And I didn't know how to do anything. And God said, move up here. And so I was like, what am I going to do for work? Well, I like driving. Maybe I'll get my school bus license. I ended up driving the short bus with wheelchair kids. It was pretty classic. And uh, so the school bus drive training is like four months long, right? No pay. And so for four months... It actually ended up being a lot longer because of other stuff. But for four months, yeah, we had a house, which was awesome. But we were still like at least a thousand bucks short a month with no savings, no income. Nobody was helping us out. And I started volunteering at the church like full time. I'm doing training at the bus like 20 hours a week, volunteering at the church like 40 hours a week because it was crazy. The church grew way faster than anybody expected. And we're like a thousand dollars short a month. And I I just, I want to testify, man, there would be checks that would just be dropped off on our, our doorstep. We needed 100 bucks. I'd go check the mail, and there'd be like a $100 bill in, in, in a you know, subscription to some like free magazine that we were getting or whatever. I'd go lead worship for 25 junior hires, and I'd get paid like 500 bucks, which is ridiculous, right? Like 25 junior hires, they don't have 500 bucks. God would just bless it. God was faithful to provide. And I just want to say something about tithing really quick. Um, I, know, I know we got spanked 
you know, a few weeks ago in regards to giving and some of our butts are still healing. And so I don't want to spank us. I just want to encourage us that, yeah, Malachi 3 says, man, you're robbing God if you're, if you're not tithing. And what I mean by tithing is giving in a way that actually costs you something, right? Um, but you're actually robbing yourself too of blessing that God wants to give you because God blesses obedience. And I'm here to testify that you cannot outgive God. My wife and I, we tried. Like we, we'd need $1,000 in a month. I'd get $500 from leading worship for 25 junior hires. And we'd be like, well, we're $500 short still. Why don't we just give it all to God and just put it all in his hands? Like either way, we're broke. We don't have any money. Let's just like give it to God. And he was like, no, I'm giving it back. And he'd give us more. We'd be like, no, Lord, take it. And he'd just be like, ah! <laughs> you can't outgive God. One Saturday, a couple months before our baby Selah was born, my auntie came up from uh, L.A., just full-blooded Sicilian lady from Cleveland. And she's like, all right, you guys, here's $20. And she gave us each 20 bucks, and she slapped us on the face and then kissed us and was like, go spend it on yourselves, okay? And we were like, all right, auntie, and we kissed her. And the next morning we're at church, and the offering bag passes. And my wife put something in it, and I was like, baby, what? What, what was that? Like, we don't have any money to tithe. We already tithed. What? And she's like, baby, I just want to be like the widow with the might and give everything I had. So I gave my $20 from auntie. And I was like, yeah, dude, my wife is legit, right? <laughs> and so I'm like, dude, this is awesome. Okay, this is great. Thank you, Lord. Right after church, some dude rolls up to us who we don't know, introduces himself, asks me how to spell my name, pulls out a checkbook. He's like 19, 20, writes me a $100 check. And I was like, Okay, thanks. Yeah, nice to meet you. Then somebody gives us his basket that day, like half an hour later. Hey, this is for the baby that's on the way. There's a card inside. It says, thank you for serving Jesus. And a $500 check. 600 bucks within like an hour. And God immediately was like, some 10, some 20, but some 30-fold. God immediately multiplied what we had given to him 30-fold. You can't outgive God. I want to encourage you, church. Give to the Lord as he calls you to do so. So God isn't asking us, isn't asking you to try to muster up some artificial faith or some kind of contrived passion for a third world country or to manufacture a call to poverty. God is asking for our hearts and lives to be surrendered. God's asking for surrender. God is asking for us to be willing to obey him no matter what the cost is. And I believe, I think I know that God is calling some of you here, maybe many of us, to step out in a radical way. Some of you he's calling to stay exactly where you're at, and that's so beautiful to just be faithful right where you're at. Some of you he's calling to just press in more to him right now. That's beautiful. That's exactly what you need to do. But some of you, now is the time when God is asking, nudging, calling you to step out, to step into that River Jordan and to watch God part the sea and establish your feet on the firm ground. And you know who you are because for the last 40 minutes, you've had this little like kind of feeling in your stomach. I'm just here to encourage you. That's not the habanero pepper from those tacos you had at Rudy's before you came. That's the Holy Spirit working in your heart. And I'm just begging you, please, for the sake of the gospel and for your own well-being, don't resist that call. 
You know who you are. Don't resist it. Don't be like Jonah running away because God may not be as kind to you as he was to Jonah to send a, to send a storm to chase you or to, to send a big fish to swallow you up and take you across the ocean and spit you out at your Nineveh. Here's the truth. God's doing his work. He's going to continue to do his work with or without us. But the beauty of the gospel is that God wants to involve us in his work. And we've heard it from this pulpit, the bigger one, the taller one, that God throughout history has chosen to not work independent of his people, but through his people. So Christian, fulfill your calling. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Do not neglect that gift that was given to you by the laying on of hands because those gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. The days are evil. So let's redeem the time. Let's be about the Lord's work when he returns. There's something in your heart that God has given you that you are most passionate about. What is it? God's given it to you. Some of you have dreams that are straight up from Jesus and you've neglected or abandoned them. Pursue those dreams. That thing that you're passionate about, I think the Lord has put that in your heart. Figure out a way to use it to glorify God, to make famous the name of Jesus and go out and do it. For me, that's being out there doing the work of the ministry through the music that God has given me and communicating, both, both proclaiming and demonstrating the true gospel of Jesus Christ. For somebody like Britt, it's, it's building up the believers and sending them out to do the work of the ministry. But what, what, what's God calling you to? Joshua chapter one, be of good courage, be strong, do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen? Amen. Speaking of very strong people, I think Pastor G wants to come up and say a little something. No. Dominic Valley. We love you, man. Listen, church, uh, I have a heart to just, as God has called Dom and his family to this new transition uh, to have them come and want you come out and let's lay hands on them. And uh, if you have a heart to pray for them, want you come forward. Uh, those of you from Ventura, you can just extend your hands like this. Matter of fact, maybe on your way up, you can turn around, and look at the camera, and say hi to Ventura. Somebody say holla. Thank you, Jesus, for the valleys. Thank you for the gift that they are to this body. And we're so thankful the work that you're doing in them from the littlest to the oldest. Lord, it's evident that you have called them. And we trust and believe because your word says that the gifts and the calling of the Lord are irrevocable that you will continue to lead them and guide them as they pursue and seek after you. Holy Spirit, we're asking for you to come and baptize them afresh. You would anoint them afresh and anew and in power as they go out, Lord, and step out in faith. You who are faithful will guide them. 
Holy Spirit, we ask that you would hover around them as their helper, that you would guide, lead, and protect them. Pray you'd continue to give Dom just insight into your word. Pray that you would continue to speak to your daughter, Lord, that you would open her ears, that she might hear your soft, still voice. Do this, Lord. We pray in your precious name. Amen. 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 Well, listen, church, as we respond to the message, uh, I think it's wise for us to just enter into a, into a time of worship and just truly asking the Lord as he would reveal to us. Or, or maybe, maybe for some of you, you're just like, wow, I've never heard the Lord like that. That's never been something that, that I've been able to hear. And, and maybe you just need to be encouraged this morning to foster that relationship that you might hear that. One of the ways we foster that is in worship. And uh, as we just get more in tune to what the Lord is wanting to do. And so obviously you guys know the, the carpets are up here to just come. First service, I just love to sitting there and just being able to ask the Lord, Lord, I want to grow in my intimacy with you. That I might hear your voice and what you're speaking. And so let's transition now to a time of worship as we ask the Spirit to have His way with us. Amen? Amen. Amen.